Symphony of Shadows, First Movement, Capriccio del Viadante, Jasmine's Allegro, Phrase 2. Back on her ship, the Shadow's Edge, Jazz tossed her cloak aside to a messy pile of clothing in desperate need of laundering. It was a smaller vessel that fit one easily but was built for a crew of three. The vessel had the requisite necessities, kitchen, bathroom, shower, a bedroom with bunked cots, cockpit, and an open hold which attached to the dropship below. The likeness to other similar sized ships ended there. The shadow's edge, much like Jasmine's cloak, was one of a kind. Can't tell by looking at it, though, Jazz thought to herself, ignoring the mess and making her way to the cockpit. The shape most resembled a bat. The cockpit was where the creature's head would be with two seats that looked out of two circular windows. The wings could adjust, and there was a set of three smaller thrusters on each wing for handling and maneuvering in space and on planet. Two larger thrusters were set where a bat's legs would fan out, which were responsible for the ship's unparalleled forward acceleration and speed. Wit was an essential component to the ship. Some may even argue he was the ship. His intelligence system could fully operate the vessel, which had some of the most advanced tech in the galaxy. Extended threading capabilities, stealth, navigation, defense, and more that Jazz had probably yet to discover. Jazz took a seat in front of the center console and lifted a bag from her feet. Wit, how long do you think it will take those goons to catch up with us? The AI calculated on her HUD. Conservative estimate puts them at 68 minutes before they are able to leave Mars. That is without gathering additional forces. There is a 67% margin of error in projection due to lack of information. Jazz opened the bag and pulled out the materials to roll the cigarillo. The process is one of the few things that helped her scattered brain focus. Bring up information on the man who had the prosthetics. The man's picture appeared on the HUD, his blue eye staring right at her while Wit searched his facial features. Can you set a course for the destination of that ship that man was after? Certainly, Wit replied. The search minimized, and another screen popped up representing a map of the current sector Jazz was located and the pathway to the gate, DC-12. Mapping thread. While Jazz rolled the tobacco between her fingers, tightening it in the leaf, she saw the image scrunch at certain points as a string pierced through the folds. Threading allowed for short travel over impossibly long distances. It was similar to gates in that way, but where a gate folded space over itself and punched a hole through it, threading took the space in front of a vessel and shortened it. Jazz wasn't quite sure how it worked, but someone had once told her it was like making a paper fan, except with space. This distance was technically the same, but with threading, a person could skip over the empty bits. Gates connected to other sectors of the universe, while threading was meant for traveling within a sector. No one had discovered how to use the technology for larger ships yet, which meant most cargo or expedition ships had to settle for the gates. But the tech was becoming increasingly affordable, especially over the last couple of decades. Threading required a significant amount of energy and could not be sustained over too long a distance without needing to recharge. 
Lucky for Jazz, Wit was blessed with some of the most efficient threading tech available, so she could travel further and faster than most. Threading mapped, reported the AI. The pathway was a clean line through space, which then turned more jagged as it approached the projected destination of the pod. Threading needed to avoid space that was occupied, because distorting space around matter was a big no-no, apparently. A single fused atom could lead to nuclear explosions, and there were trillions of atoms waiting to be fused in her ship. To stop that from happening on a regular basis, the Divine Republic created spaceways so threading ships could avoid such dangers. Gate DC-12 was apparently a dud gate, meaning there was nothing of value on the other side. And yet, for some reason, it had been left open all this time. Without traffic, though, the less-traveled spaceway meant the route there was less defined. How long will it take us to get there? asked Jazz, while she licked the tobacco leaf, finished the roll, and gently moved her fingers up the newly birthed cigarillo to secure it. Seven hours, twenty-nine minutes, sixteen seconds, with a stop at the Garanthia waypoint to refuel. Estimated time until our friends arrive. Between twelve and thirteen hours, twenty-three percent margin of error. Wow, that's pretty confident for you. Plenty of time. Jazz said while she chewed on the end of the cigarillo and looked for her light. Wit? It's in your cloak, Wit responded. Jazz hit herself lightly on the forehead and rolled her eyes. She moved to the hold and picked up her cloak from the mountain of clothes. She searched the pockets and found her lighter. She flicked it once, twice, and a third time, but it didn't light. Yes, damn it! Jazz threw the lighter and cloak back into the mess and made for the kitchen. Profile complete, voiced Wit on the comms. Lay it out for me, said Jazz, as she turned on the stove top and began awkwardly pressing the cigarillo to it. Name, Genoa Dale, but that is likely an alias, as there are no archived records prior to 254 AG. I have run analyses comparing purchases of hand and face prosthetics during that time. There are no records of sales that fit his description, but there was an alleged pirate attack against a cargo ship around that time, transporting the same prosthetics. High likelihood it was acquired and added through the black market, and currently searching ancillary databases and records. We don't know who he was before, but we do know who he is now. Jazz breathed in the scent of burning tobacco as the tip of the cigarillo finally glowed with heat. Mercenary and, more recently, an arms dealer, contracted by the Divine Republic. He mostly outfits militia in the periphery sectors to repress insurgencies in rebel uprisings. Alejandro is connected to him through sales of arms and transportation via the Mars ports. Makes sense. Jazz inhaled the blessed smoke and blew it out gently, filling the small kitchen with a thin haze. Probably ex-military or spec ops, which is why you're having trouble finding much on him prior to 254 AG. That was during the Succession War, so I'm sure he was up to some shady business the Republic doesn't want anyone knowing about. See what else you can discover. Jazz returned to the hull and began taking her clothes off, tossing them on top of the mess. I'm gonna shower and try to get some sleep. Wake me up when we arrive at the waypoint, please? Only since you asked so nicely. Alarm set. Thanks, Wit, she said sarcastically while moving to the bathroom. Shower, 36 degrees Celsius. Jazz smoked with one hand and tried removing her socks with the other. She almost fell removing the first one, then did fall removing the second one. 
She finished taking it off on the ground and took another drag of her cigarillo. Until now, I did not understand poetry, said Wit. What do you mean? Your grace is a muse, even for an AI such as myself. Calms off, ass. Jazz stood, took one last drag, and crushed the remainder of the cigarillo on an ashtray by the sink. In the shower, the warm water pelted her skin. She buried her face in the water, feeling the sweat and dirt stream down her. Alone in this space, she was suddenly afraid. What in the name of Eos are you doing, woman? This was not like her, chasing down information she had no idea about. What was she getting herself into? Even if this mysterious Genoa Dale was telling the truth about the considerable prize this information would lead her to, what would she even do with all that money? Buy a planet filled with beaches to spend the rest of her days getting drunk? Slip in and amongst the wealthy and powerful of the Republic. Hire an assassin to kill all the creditors on her ass. Jazz gagged at all those thoughts, except perhaps the last one. Despite that, something compelled her to continue. Perhaps it was the mystery of it all, or maybe the impossibility tickled the provocateur inside of her. Whatever the reason, it felt like she had been plunged into a river, and she had no choice but to keep her head above water while she crashed against rocks and was propelled downstream. That and fuck Genoa and his sniper. If nothing else, she would get the information just to spite those assholes. Jazz finished her shower, which dried her with hot air after a moment. She remained naked, seeing no reason to get dressed if she was going to lie down. Jazz was out the moment her head hit the pillow. Jazz was falling. Or more accurately, Jazz was watching Jazz fall from a very tall building. Jazz grabbed for herself, extending an arm outward toward her wrist. The bright sun caught Jazz's eye, and she blinked. Jazz grabbed at the air and failed to rescue herself. Jazz shrugged, watching as she plummeted to her death, but the moment she turned to take the stairs down, Jazz was looking up at herself. She grew smaller by the moment as Jazz continued falling. Jazz cursed herself, turning her body to watch as the pavement rushed up toward her. When Jazz finally struck the ground, it was surprisingly painless. Jazz tried to move, but there was nothing for it. Jazz was entirely paralyzed. Instead, Jazz lay face down, only able to see black, which also seemed odd, considering it was so bright a moment ago. Finally, blessedly, someone came to Jazz and turned her around. Jazz couldn't make out the features of the person. A woman, perhaps. It was like looking at a picture of a watercolor painting of a person while drunk. The shape and colors all blurred together and shifted while Jazz tried to keep the person in focus. The mystery person drew closer, and with abrupt clarity she could see the person. A woman. It looked like her. A lot like her. But it wasn't her. I'm sorry, said the woman, cradling Jazz in her arms and shedding great globs of bright red tears. The sticky tears dripped on Jazz's face. Why are you sorry? Jazz asked the woman. Who are you? Then the woman released Jazz, and she was falling again, but this time Jazz fell into darkness. The woman became a pinprick of light, and then she was gone, swallowed by black. Jazz fell for an eternity, grasping at the darkness for something to hold on to. Someone. 
Help, she tried to say, but her mouth would not open. Her limbs would not move. Jazz gasped in a pool of her own sweat, grabbing a plasma knife she kept under her pillow. She stabbed at the darkness as if it were paper she could shear. Lights, she gulped, surprised she could speak. The slate metal of the room shone and Jazz had to cover her eyes for a moment to adjust, further disorienting her. Her body cut up with her fear and pain blasted her senses. She was more bruised than woman and her muscles were tight and sore. In the sensory overload, she began to gag. She pulled over a trash to vomit, but nothing came out. She had nothing to eat or drink since arriving at Mars. Jazz suddenly felt inexorably weak and fell back onto her wet sheets. Cold swept over her and heaving waves and violent shivers racked her body. This blows, she thought, giving herself a moment to adjust to the misery. Jazz was able to stand after a while and weakly limped her way into the kitchen. She checked for a clean glass, and, finding none, she settled for the least dirty. She thumbed away a smudge and filled it to the top. She forced down the entire glass and then filled another, which she drank slowly. Jazz could not escape the image of that woman in her dream. It took her a while to place it, but after a moment she grimaced and made for her safe. She opened it a moment later and removed one of the few things in there. A picture. She stared at the woman in it, flanked by two men. The woman, her mother, was holding a newish-born baby. And I used to be so cute, Jazz thought before saying, We there yet? She shoved the photo back into the safe and locked it, then headed for the kitchen. We are arriving at Garanthian Waypoint. We will be docked in less than three minutes. Jazz opened the fridge to find exactly what she had last time, and the time before that, and the time before that. Moldy milk and condiments were lonely islands in the cold, white emptiness of her barren refrigerator. Jazz, still naked, thought it would be a good idea to dress now they were so close to Garanthian, so she moved back to the hull. She began the process of smelling her clothing and tossing it aside until she found something suitable. Wit docked the ship a few moments later and Jazz jumped onto the bridge where a fueler was waiting. Fill him up and recharge the thread engine. She handed the man a card to pay. He nodded and Jazz considered whether or not she had time to grab a bite to eat. To curb her hunger, she began rolling another cigarillo. I'll be damned if it isn't my favorite bounty hunter. A familiar voice embraced Jazz from behind. Jazz took a moment to sigh and finished rolling before she turned. Just my luck. You got a light, Knox? The man in front of Jazz stood at least a head taller than her. He was lean but muscular, with a dark vest over a ragged t-shirt that did a poor job of hiding a mangled scar on his left shoulder. He had a sly, recently shaved face and long brown hair. His eyes were chocolate hazel hue, which matched his light brown complexion. I would not like to see a flower like you burn, Solnishko. Those things will kill you. Knox removed a lighter from a pocket and handed it to her. I'm no fucking flower. Jazz snatched the lighter and lit the tobacco. You misunderstand. His voice was like a warm breeze. Do not mistake a flower as weak. Yeah, yeah, roses have thorns and all that cliché bullshit. Jazz took a drag and blew it to the side. What are you doing here? That is none of your business. A second voice came from around the corner. A seven-foot behemoth of a woman. 
took position beside Knox. She pointedly crossed her arms and shot Jazz a stern gaze. She was a block of a woman with broad shoulders and trees for legs. Her hair was pulled back so tight it widened her already bulging eyes. Ah, a pleasure to see you again, Gerta. Jazz curtsied rudely. Go fuck yourself, she sneered. The man filling Jazz's ship chose that moment to tap her on the shoulder. She turned sharply to be faced with her card. It was declined, said the man, unamused. Sorry about that. She took another card and handed it to the man. He left to try again, and Jazz turned back to Knox, lifting the lighter he gave her. Mind if I keep this? I'll owe you one. She didn't wait for him to respond and pocketed it. Anything to help a friend? Knox waved away the slight. And to answer your question, we are here on business. Business? I wouldn't call pirating business. Semantics, Knox grinned. We were lucky enough to acquire some valuable goods through chance and are on our way to a buyer. Knox, interjected Gerta. I don't think you should be telling her. Gerda, the adults are talking, Jazz cut her off. Why don't you go lift something heavy or whatever it is that you do? For someone so large, the woman could move. She took a swift step forward and a meaty hand thrust for Jazz's neck. Somehow Knox slipped between them, gently pressing down on Gerda's raised hand. It is all right, Sestra. What could she possibly do? Gerda narrowed her eyes. I see you, Jasmine Azura. I know you for what you really are. A leech, eh? The fueler cleared his throat behind Jazz again, interrupting Gerta. What now? asked Jazz. Card declined. Shit. Jazz dug for another card and handed it to the man. He stared at it suspiciously for a moment and then shared the stare with Jazz. All right, he said finally and left them. Jazz was met with a smirk from Gerta. Having some money problems, are we? Again? You haven't changed. Ouch. My pride, Jazz responded deadpan. Excuse me if I have a hard time feeling offended when you steal and kill for profit. The only difference between you and us is the profit part. Gerta's lips curled smugly and her fists pressed into her hips. She leaned forward to bring herself level with Jazz. It took all of Jazz's concerted will not to punch the woman in the face. We leave in five, Knox. Don't keep the crew waiting. Both Knox and Jazz waited for her to be out of earshot before speaking. The silence stretched a little too long, and Jazz was having trouble finding something to fill the space with besides the smoke from her cigarillo. I apologize for my quartermaster's behavior, Knox finally said. No apology necessary. Eos knows I deserve it. Knox smiled. It is nice to see you again. After we trade in our goods, it would be nice to have a proper chat. You mean a proper fuck? That's it, Jazz thought to herself. Blunt as a hammer. No time for this shit. Knox smiled slyly and shook his head. I told you what brought us here, but what are you doing in this part of the sector? Not much around here nowadays. Following a bounty lead, Jazz responded curtly. Which one? Woman named, uh, Isla DeLoren? Jazz lied, drumming up a random name she half-remembered from the bounty list. Knox looked confused for a moment. Are you sure about that? Of course I'm sure. She wasn't, of course, but she'd come too far now. 
Ayla was captured a week ago. It was all over the news. Surely that AI of yours must have told you. It would have been updated in all the systems. Your information is stale. Yes, damn it. Did I say Isla? I meant Isa. I always get those names confused. Immediately, Jazz could tell Knox was not buying the blatant lie. Jazz, is everything... Before he could respond, the fueler tapped on Jazz's shoulder for a third time. He poked her violently with the card. Declined. Filled her up already, but I ain't gonna let you leave until you pay. Jazz reached for a fourth card, but the fueler stopped her and shook his head. Ain't gonna take no more cards. Casher will be calling the Arbiters to settle this. Cash it is. Jazz reached for her pistol. She didn't have time to deal with the Arbiters. She couldn't let Genoa and Alejandro catch up and get to that ship before her. As she went to draw, she found a hand there. She turned to find Knox's head dangerously close to hers. The smell of him was warm and sweet and caught her off guard. Before she could react, he handed the fueler a wad of cash. I think this will cover it. The fueler counted the money and tried to hand Knox the change back. No, you may keep it. The fueler stuck the money into one of Knox's vest pockets. Don't take tips, sir, against policy. The man responded with all the emotion of a wet towel. Thank you, said Jazz, making some distance between her and Knox. The least I could do after Gerta's rudeness. That was not a gift. I'll pay you back when I make it big. I am sure you will, but I'd settle for a cup of coffee with you. Knox winked. It is time I got back to my ship. I will see you again, no? I sure hope not, Jazz thought, but did not feel. See you. Symphony of Shadows is a production of Synapse Radio. Written, produced, and performed by J.S. Rose. Follow us on Instagram at Synapse Radio and Twitter at Connect2Synapse. That's the number two. Or visit our website for all things awesome, synapse-radio.com. Synapse Radio.